I learned at an early age how to how to stitch myself up uh, using my mom's sewing kit. Uh, because if I if I had to go to the hospital every time I went to the hospital with my parents and I came back, I got a beating. Uh, so. Hello, this is Al Levin, the creator and host of the Depression Files podcast. For over two and a half years, I've been creating and publishing this show every other Sunday. Of course, there is a cost to producing a podcast, from paying the podcast hosting site to the equipment to a significant amount of my own personal time. Because of this, I've decided to create a Patreon page and hope that you'll consider contributing so that I can continue the important work of allowing men to share their stories. Please check it out at patreon.com slash the depression files. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash the depression files. In addition, it would help me out greatly if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. Thank you for considering to support me in these ways. And now to the show. Welcome to The Depression Files, where you'll hear interviews of men who have struggled with depression. We talk about everything related to mental health, from depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that sharing stories is one of the best ways to chip away at the stigma. I also believe that sharing stories helps to educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Depression Files. This is your host, Al Levin, and I'm excited today. On the line, we have Victor Jansen. Victor is a telecommunications project manager and a mental illness activist. Victor, welcome to the show. Hey, Al. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. So you are, you're, you're from Canada, correct? That's correct. Uh-huh. Which part of Canada are you in? I'm in Ontario, okay. uh, so southwestern Ontario, so just, uh, just a little bit uh, west of Toronto, if anyone's familiar with Canada. You know, most of us uh, ignorant or ig- Americans, or I should at least speak for myself, really prefer uh, uh, areas described by where they are above the United States. <laughs> so are you above like Minnesota? Are you above like New York area, out east, out west? We're above We're above New York. There you go. Um, yeah, that is a really yeah. ignorant question, isn't it? So I just admit to my lack of geography around Canada and made a fool of myself. But that's what I do sometimes on the show. So, hey, Victor, Al, you. Yes. I just you didn't you didn't ask me if I lived in an igloo, so I'm OK. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Not quite that ignorant. So uh, <laughs> you're in Canada. You are a uh, you've got a family. How many kids? I've got uh, two young adult uh, daughters, um, and I've got a, a a granddaughter as well. Okay, awesome, and uh, and you're married. That's correct. Uh-huh. My wife is a saint. Okay, awesome. And so you advocate around mental illnesses, and we'll get into that eventually. But I think, like myself, you got into mental illness activism once you had your own lived experience and it sounds like your mental health um 
you were struggling with mental health from an early age. Could you talk to us about that a bit? Sure. Yeah. So, so as a, uh, um, uh, I guess a person with living, lived experience, uh, my mental illness, when I was younger, I didn't know I, I, I was mentally ill to, to be quite honest. Um, but I did have a, a, a rough go. Uh, I had a family that, uh, um, neglected me both parents were, were you know uh first generation immigrants to canada so they you know they worked uh, multiple jobs um you know they worked hard uh but uh they you know a lot of things in the family were sacrificed where were they originally from they were originally from brazil okay so um you know there there, there are a lot of a lot of i, I think the trauma uh in my family of origin was multi-generational um I think they had a lot of unresolved trauma from from their uh, from their perspective, um, but I mean times were different uh, when they were growing up. So, um, and of course the you know economic prosperity in in, in those in, in Brazil at that time was was uh, was not that uh, uh, powerful. Um, so there were a lot of struggles and, and whatnot. So, needless to say. Um, you know, so so a lot of times, like my brothers were were I think really who 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 you know well for the most part claim that they raised me, but I don't know. I think I raised myself for the most part. Um, How much older are your brothers? Uh, there's about a uh, uh, there's two years between me and my oldest brother, and then there's a year and a half between my um, my older brother and myself. Okay. So I was the youngest of three boys. And they claim, like you said, they claim to have essentially raised you. Yeah. But, I mean, they were never around anyways. I mean, you know, basically what they would do uh, growing up, you know, they would put food in front of me and put me in front of the TV. And then they said, oh, we're going to go, we're going to, you know, visit some friends. And so they would leave me for most of the night in front of the TV. So, um, yeah, I'm one of those those kids that grew up in front of a TV. And your parents were out working long hours, it sounds like. Yeah, they're out working or they're, you know, at home sleeping, you know, one of the, they work multiple shifts and all kinds of things. So yeah, it was a different, uh, it was different times back then. So you were on your own a lot. Was there other kinds of trauma that you endured from that type of, uh, family situation? So, so I'll I'll give you the, 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 the Cole's notes chronological adventure that, uh, my early childhood, um, uh, began with. And and so before we, 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 we I get I go down that road, I'm just gonna let everyone know. Um, uh, so I have been diagnosed with uh, severe complex PTSD. Uh, I have um, DID, which is dissociative identity disorder, or also known as multiple personalities. Um, and uh, I got borderline personality disorder, as well as uh, early childhood trauma, developmental trauma. Um, and uh, I'm a five-time suicide survivor. Died once, um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, you know. Wow. Uh, so I'll, I'll get into I'll get into to to uh, the chronological how everything played out. Uh, uh, yeah, that is a lot that you just uh, just laid out for us, and we're so I'm just curious now that you've mentioned these diagnoses. Were these diagnoses given to you later in life and how late and were they all at the same time or were these different times of your life where you had additional disabilities laid on you? 
Uh, no, they they pretty much all came out uh, between I want to say because uh, I had a mental breakdown uh, uh, in 2014. So from 2014 to about uh, uh, I want to say 2019, uh, and 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 we're still and and we're still discovering some of my um, uh, quirks about uh, my. Uh, mental illnesses and so forth. So yeah, it was, it, it was later in life. Um, uh, about 30 years pretty much after, the, you know, well, 20, 25 years to 30 years after the fact. Right. And, and do you think that's when the diagnosis came, uh, or do you think you had many of the symptoms of it for all of that time and just didn't realize and were not diagnosed with a mental illness? Or do you think it all suddenly manifested once you were older? Uh, well, it, it's because I I'm, I made a conscious choice when I was when I was 18, and I I took all my trauma, everything that happened to me, I buried it deep inside inside me. Um, I never thought it would see the, the light of day, but uh, you know that box that I put everything in, the lid didn't blow off. The box actually blew up. So. Um, right. Wow. So, 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 you know, I'll, I'll jump into it. I'll, I'll give you the Coles notes version of, of, you know, uh, everything that I've gone through, um, through in life and, and, uh, you know, we can, we can take it from there. Sounds good. So, and it's, it's, it's interesting. So, so I want to, um, preface this with, with, so people understand. So with every, uh, traumatic event, uh, major traumatic event that I've experienced, um, I have a, uh, uh, an alternate personality that's connected to that, uh, event, or there's multiple personalities that were born out of that event. Uh, so, so I'll let you know, um, you know, some of the cast of characters that, that, uh, share the same, uh, body and brain and everything that I, that I have. And what's really interesting too, is, um, I want to want, I want your audience to understand and, and, and know this is that. Right now, um, I'm not connected to any of, of my alternate identities, and there's about 20 of them, um, but they're all connected to me. So so what's really interesting here, just to kind of wrap your head around this, uh, is in this conversation, we're not – I'm not alone. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it's, uh, um, it's something that I have observed over the last few years, uh, and so it kind of makes life interesting. Um, yeah. So if you don't mind, I'd love to ask a couple of questions before we get into some of the traumas and, and associate that because dissociative identity disorder is a very complex mental illness and it's very interesting to me. And I would imagine many of the listeners who may have never met somebody with dissociative identity disorder. And like you said, it's multiple, used to be called multiple personality disorder. So you you believe that you have 20 and I I've seen the word alters. I heard, heard you call them characters. How do you identify? What do you call them? Do you, would you say 20 characters, 20 alters? Uh, well, I, I, I've debated this, uh, over, over time and, and, you know, my, my current therapist and I always have this conversation and, and really, I mean, you know, he said they're, they're, they're parts of, of the same whole. So a lot of times I just refer to them as the collective. Okay. Right. And yeah. and you believe you've identified 20. Do you think, is it is it possible that there are more that you haven't yet discovered? Correct. Yep. Uh, and, and, and I say that there's 20 because um, 
and I'll get this in, into this later, but uh, some of my alters uh, have figured out how to use technology and uh, they like to send out poetry or nasty emails on, on you know, expressing themselves and then and, and using my email uh, address or I, I know there's one of the, one of my alters actually has his own email email address and um, he likes to send. But he usually sends stuff to me. Uh, well, a lot of it's death threats. He sends me death threats all the time. OK, wow. And are you aware when a different personality is coming to the surface? No, there's absolutely no connection whatsoever. There's no warning. Um, it's basically, you know, and, and a lot of my a lot of my identities, uh, they come out uh, when either I'm in uh, extreme uh, ex- and when I say extreme distress uh, and I'll get into um, into that later in the conversation uh what i mean by extreme distress and or or if i'm under a tremendous amount of of stress like uh uh court courts and trials uh and i'll get into that as well because i i've been there and uh, so it's uh yeah it's 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 been a really interesting uh adventure so far so and and how frequently would you say your personality changes to a different identity um, oh, I would say, you know, uh, at least, uh, uh, one of them comes out at least once a day. Okay. So is there a possibility that throughout this interview, we may be speaking to a different identity? And if so, would we know that Would that identity identify themselves with a different name and say, Hey, now you're talking to so-and-so or would it, would we maybe not even know? Is it subtle enough? Yeah, the, I guess the the only uh, I'm not under I'm not under extreme stress right now, so so it's it's highly unlikely that uh, uh, any of them will pop out. Okay. Um, and uh, if they do, they do like to announce themselves um, from from every person that's interacted with my with my uh, um, collective because uh, I use a, I use a crisis line almost daily um, to get by to you know to survive my days. And and they've dealt with some of my personality, my my other my other personalities, and so in communicating with them, they they kind of share with me the character traits of certain personalities. So, and then of course my um, longstanding uh, ther- therapist, uh, he he's well aware, and I'll I'll let you know that there's there's about three hundred and fifty north of three hundred and fifty. Um, pieces of poetry that my current therapist has in his file um, from my identities. Okay. Of, send, of sending him emails. And, and, it's, and it's not just one person. It, it goes to multiple people. And I don't even know who, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, and, and these identities, what they like to do is they, uh, they will uh, clear out the history in my email uh, application um, of, of anything that I sent. And the only thing they haven't figured out yet, and this is the only way I can cross reference if I actually, if, if things did go out, because a lot of times, um, my circle of care or my supporters, if they receive these emails, uh, they usually send them back to me, uh, and say, Oh, you know what? we got some poetry. And, and then it gives me an opportunity to, um, review the poetry, read it, digest it, analyze it, and then reflect upon it. Uh, and some of the stuff's actually kind of neat. And, and really interesting to, 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 to read and, 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 and look at and analyze. 
Um, some of it, some of it's garbage. Some of it sounds like rock and roll uh, lyrics. Uh, some of it are, some of it's profound. Um, so it, it runs the gamut, and wow. and it's it's really interesting because uh, one of the things that uh, I'm I'm working on right now is I'm, I'm actually trying to put a book together of of all those you know those 300 north or 350 plus poems and in, in different aspects of my personalities i'm trying to put a, a book together to kind of chronologically show the evolution of my personalities as time goes on wow a couple of the people i i just took note that you did not mention were your wife and your kids are they pretty clear on when a different identity is there and um and do they associate with them then no, like a lot of people don't don't notice or, uh, you know, are, are usually aren't around um, when my my days take place. Uh, and a lot of that has to do um, because I, I self isolate because I have other issues that go on and I get in that get into that as well. Um, other experiences that I have. So I know that, you know, there's a certain time of day where, where I have my witching hour um, and, uh, you know, it. Uh, it, 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 it's it's taxing on on my body it's taxing on my mind and and so um yeah a lot of times my 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 immediate family they might see these brief personalities uh once or twice uh you know they'll come out um and uh you know and, and of course you know um it's always a little dicey when police are involved because uh, uh i have a i have a, a past of of being assaulted by police as a young boy. Um, and so, uh, I don't like police and, uh, can't really stand the badge, have no respect for it. Wow. And, uh, I've been, I've been beaten up way too many times by, by police, uh, even in the last few years. Um, what I've found is that in public they'll, they'll, you know, put on a facade that they're, they're, you know, they're, they're helpful, that they understand. But as soon as the public's nowhere near, um, and, and, and out of out of sight, out of mind, uh, you know, the mental mentally ill. Well, we're 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 targets. We're we're easy picking. Well, there certainly is a lot of talk about police and uh, working with individuals with mental illnesses, and some cities that have even moved to mental health responders rather than the police because like that. I mean, I, a lot of it is probably ignorance and lack of understanding of how to handle a, a person with a mental health crisis lack of training maybe even um i'm not really trying to defend what happens but certainly a, a hot topic these days for sure and we know that there are plenty of incident incidents where people have been killed due to a mental illness and a police maybe who wasn't qualified or or you know wasn't able to handle a, a difficult situation yeah, and Al, and, and I'll tell you the seriousness of of my situation um, is, you know, I, I have uh, it, it's pretty bad when my uh, current therapist, who's a medical doctor for specializing in psychotherapy, um, it's pretty bad when when he he's gone on record and and stated uh, with a, a, a psychiatrist. Uh, that his biggest fear in my community is the police shooting me right uh, because of 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 my uh personality um disorder and because there is there is one this the same uh identity that likes to to send me death threats 
uh, is the same identity that would probably try to take out a police officer if he ever came out. But then what's thing is, you know, um, the world is conditioned to to look at uh, people's appearances and associate them with that per- with 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 your personality saying oh well you know they they see they, they see your face they're like oh that's victor or oh that's al um but without understanding the did part of it they're like oh that's victor but he's acting strange right um it's like well then that's not victor who's doing that that's one of his alters yeah. so it's uh it's interesting and so you mentioned death threats and stuff. Are are any of your alters have you have they done anything that uh, aggressive to anybody or anything? And is that all? It's also without your knowing or comprehending that anything's happening, even. Yeah, the aggressive part. It, it, I'm the lightning rod, so uh, I, I've had multiple lacerations, broken bones. Uh, you know, I've had uh, my identities try to try to put me through a brick wall multiple times. I've had uh, these identities, uh, you know, try to to stake me into the ground like a tent, like a like a tent post. Um, wow. You know, it's. Uh, but you yeah, are always you're always the target, which I mean that is not good, but but it hasn't been one of your personalities doing that aggressive behavior towards another person. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, and then, you know, when you, when you, when I want, and it's, what's interesting is when I come up the other side of my, um, once one of my identities have taken over, I'm, I'm physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted. Um, and you know, and then I have to pick up the pieces of, of, you know, what, whatever they did to me, uh, for the most part, you know, and sometimes I get lucky. Sometimes it's just the, there's a, um, one of my identities calls himself the poet. Uh, when, when he comes out, all he likes to do is send poetry to, to everyone. But if there's a mix and match of, 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 of identities and, and, um, you know, one of my identities who, 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 two of my identities who existed since, since my first traumatic, uh, incident as a child, uh, one one identity's name is Harris, and the other one is uh, well, we call it the Beast. And so, basically, Harris is is brawn and brains. The Beast is just all animalistic brawn. And and so when 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 I, I can tell which identity has has taken over my body by which body part is is injured the most. Wow, that's how I tell the difference between between the two of those between the two of them. Right. One likes to use weapons and, and, you know, uh, a lot of times goes after my groin, um, you know, and the other one, the other one likes to go after my head. So, wow, that's got to know, be so frightening to, to know that one of those personalities could come to the surface at any time. Uh, you know what? You get used to it. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I find it intriguing because, you know, with this whole COVID thing going on, um, you know, a lot of people talk about mental illness as, you know, anxiety, uh, stress, um, depression and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, uh, at least in Canada, we, you know, we have we have government uh, um, assistance. And, and a lot of times, you know, there's government safety nets that will that will uh, assist people and, and, you know, have that gentle here, you know, get you back on your feet. Um 
and, and you know, from my perspective, I, I look at it and go, well, if you want to know what real anxiety is and, and real stress, uh, try living with a with and knowing that there's an identity inside you that can take you out anytime it wants. Wow, right. Well, and you said you live on a daily basis uh, making calls to the crisis center. Yep. Yeah. That yeah. That has got so, to be challenging. So it is. It is. And, and you know, the other, the other piece that makes it challenging is, uh, uh, you know, I'm a high, I'm a, I'm a extremely high functioning, uh, mentally ill person with severe illnesses. And, uh, um, before I jump into the legal, uh, battles I've, I've gone down, um, I just want to swing back and give people just a, uh, uh, um, a quick snapshot of my upbringing so they kind of understand Absolutely. That would be great. I do want to just ask one quick question while you mentioned high functioning. You do have a full time job and are you able to function at a high level at work? And is there a concern of different personalities coming out while at work and how that may impact your work? And and the last part of that would be, does your boss is your boss aware of your uh, issues? Uh, so yeah, so so. Um... I do well at work. Um, work to me is a distraction uh, from from uh, my daily uh, symptoms of my illnesses. Uh, so when I do go to work, uh, to me, work is not stressful uh, at all. I don't get stressed at work, um, and you know, I actually have a lot of fun, uh, you know, with my job and and dealing with all these different people and all these different projects. I find it uh, uh, quite therapeutic and 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 um, uh, I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Yeah. And so, and what I, what I, what I've learned over the years is I, I, I'm really good at compartmentalizing so I can block out, um, the noise of, of, of my insanity. Uh, so I can, I can do that for, you know, I can do that for a good eight hours. Uh, I used to do, I used to be able to do it for years and, and months, but, uh, in 2014, when that box blew up, so did my abilities of uh, compartmentalizing. Right, right. So all I can now is just I can I can do it for about eight hours. Uh, you know, and it doesn't have to be eight hours sequential. It could be like four hours here. You know, take a break. Couple, you know, four hours there, two there, two there. Uh-huh. So it's uh, I, I, I'm pretty good at that. And then uh, as for my bosses, some of my bosses know. My immediate manager, my my immediate manager doesn't know, but. Um, People way above the food chain uh, uh, know about my uh, my diagnosis, my illnesses, uh-huh. and I work for an organization that uh, um, is really supportive uh, with uh, with mental illness. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, not as severe as, as mine. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people in my organization who tell me like they're like Victor, um, the public's not ready for your story, and I'm like, okay, but. You know, but they but they do like to pick my brain because I've I've got so much history um, within the mental uh, illness sector uh, and, and and so forth. But uh, yeah, I, I just want you know. But before I get down into that, my experience with the mental health sector, I really like to to just give you the context of, of yeah, you know, my origin and what what I am. Absolutely. Yeah. So so my very first. Uh, uh, childhood memory and also it's my very first traumatic uh memory is uh being being burnt in a barbecue um a little i don't know if you guys have them in the u.s but in the 70s they used to have these these uh i think they called them a bocce 
uh, barbecues. So, you know, you put they sit they, they sit on the ground. You put you know they put coals in. You light the coals up, and and then you wait till the coals you know get all nice and red and and and, and whatnot. And then you can put your your grills on top and 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 uh, you know cook your cook your food. Yep, we so, definitely have those. Yeah, so I was four years old. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a, it was a beautiful summer day and I, I just, I just like, you know, I, I didn't have anything better to do. So, uh, you know, my, my oldest, oldest brother was at the bottom of the driveway, tossing stones or, or whatnot into the street. My older brother was riding up and down our driveway on his bicycle. And then he would skid in behind me. Um, and then he'd do the same thing to my other brother, my oldest brother at the bottom of the driveway, he'd go up and skid behind him. And then he'd be laughing the whole time he, he was doing that. And so, I was watching the fire. I was watching, you know, and, and, and I was just watching how the flames moved. It was really hypnotic and, and, and so forth. And uh, I recall hearing my older brother on his bicycle. I can hear him coming up the driveway and he was laughing and giggling. And I heard the skid. And the next thing I know, I felt uh, some sharp pain at the back of my ankles. And then before I knew it, there was a hand pressed against my back. And uh, next thing I know, I'm going, I, I'm, I'm, pretty much doing, you know, diving into a, into a, a lit barbecue. Um, so, you know, I took my hands, put my hands out in front of me to, to break my fall. Um, so my hands went into the coals, they got submerged under the coals. Um, and by the time I stopped falling into the barbecue, uh, my chest hit the side of the, uh, of the barbecue, which literally just branded me. Uh, um, yeah, that's pretty much what, what happened. I got, I got branded by, by the side of a barbecue, uh, and then, um, four years old, uh, four years old. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then, you know, I, I felt the, the, the tickle of the flame, uh, on, on the, on the, the surface of my, my eyeball. Um, and that, uh, I can tell you, like, I mean, I get flashbacks on that and that, that hurts like hell. Yeah. Uh, and so I remember standing up and that was the last thing, like that was the last thing I remember. Uh, I couldn't scream. I couldn't, I, I had no voice left because, uh, I, 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 pretty much uh, breathed in all the fire and, and everything and all the hot air. Uh, so I did some damage to my vocal cords and uh, you name it, you know, I, I was, I was in pretty bad shape. And do you think um, your brother and, did this on purpose? I mean, he couldn't have known what he was really, how traumatic of a situation it would be. Well, that's debatable. Okay. Uh, once you hear the story uh, of my family, you know, yeah. you might, you might want, you might rethink that question. But, okay. Uh, anyway, so so uh, my next my next uh, memory was waking up in a hospital um, with strangers doing you know strange things to me, and and I just remember I panicked. Um, I, you know, my my half my face was bandaged, my head was bandaged, both my hands were were um, you know the size of boxing gloves, you know, just covered in gauze and. And all I can remember and, and all I could see was someone peeling stuff off my chest. And, you know, was it, was it, was it my skin? Was it, was it, was it the, you know, the, um, material that they're using to, 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 um, to help the burns? I have no idea, but, it, you know, I just remember seeing that I panicked and next thing I know, um, I felt a, a sharp jab in my, in my one arm and I was out like a light. Uh, and then, when I came to, and, and of course I have no concept of time when this happened. So I don't know if I, if, if, you know, I don't know how long it took. I don't know if it was hours, days, I, I have no idea. Um, and then, you know, when I woke up, uh, I had my mom and, and my brothers, I just remember, 
the front door being opened. Uh, my mom told my brothers to go to their, go to their room. And then my mom helped me walk through the, the front door. And then she closed it behind me, um, walked me to, to our dining room. And then right beside the dining room was the kitchen. So she went into the kitchen. Uh, she was telling me how I scared her. She was telling me, you know, um, uh, the fright that I gave her and that, that, you know, that it was my fault that I was standing in that spot to get pushed into the, you know, to fall into the fire. Um, so she blamed me for that. And then, uh, you know, she, uh, she said, you know, because of, 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 of me scaring her that I need to be taught a lesson. And before I knew it, she swung around that, that counter so quickly, um, you know, and took a 12 inch, uh, and I should warn, you should warn your viewers that, you know, or your listeners that, you know, this could be triggering. Um, anyway, she took a 12 inch, uh, cast the iron frying pan and try to put it through my ribs. Um, and and right right after that, uh, you know, she turned around and decided, you know, that that wasn't, that wasn't good enough. So she, uh, she put her foot through my stomach. Um, and then, uh, that didn't, that didn't, you know, put me down on the ground yet. So her last thing that she did was she put her foot through my groin and, uh, that dropped me on the floor. And I just remember being on the floor I remember spitting up all kinds of crap out of my, out of my, out of my lungs, out of my throat. Um, it was, it was gross. Uh, and then I don't know how much time there was in, in, in that period. Uh, my dad came home, uh, here is like, you know, I could, I could feel the vibrations of his work boots on, on the, on the floor. I heard, you know, um, I remember the, the argument that my parents were in. And then from there, my dad came over to me, uh, you know, grabbed my left arm just just above the the, the bandages, uh, took his belt off, and then he took took the strap across my back and and actually broke my skin and made me bleed. Um, and then from there, he he put me in his his bedroom uh, for about eight hours, where I had the opportunity to to suffer uh, greatly in pain. Uh, not only the pain of of the of the burns, but the pain of of what they did to me. Oh, um, you know. I ended up soiling myself and, uh, that's where, um, the four-year-old, uh, little Victor identity, uh, uh, was born. That's where, uh, Harris, uh, the, the, um, the, the, the smart, but violent, um, identity, uh, he came up, he was born that day. And so was the beast. Those were the three, uh, identities that were born that day. Um, and then, and then between, uh, that age and, uh, 10, um, you can just imagine all the, all the, all the shit that, 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 uh, um, oh, I apologize for my sewer mouth. No Um, no problem. No problem. Um, but, but, you know, my, my, you know, they, they, you know, between those years, I mean, it was like living in a prison without, uh, without guards. That is, Um, it uh, was not common. You know, that is, it's hard to even fathom what you went through. I mean, and you were in the hospital who knows how long with severe, severe burns and you get out and your mom takes an iron, a uh, fry pan to you, kicks you in the gut and in the groin. And then your dad takes a belt to you all after you had traumatically been burned so badly. It's really, it's just, it's hard to believe it's mind boggling. It's so devastatingly sad. 
Yeah, and you know the, the and and it's, it's it's interesting because I think the 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 thing that sticks with me to, uh, with me the most is is you know and it's a common theme throughout my entire childhood uh, existence is my entire family uh, used to always tell me I was the mistake, but they still loved me. Um, you know that was the, that was the ongoing theme. So before my dad left the room. And before my mom left the room, they both looked at me and said, you know, you're the mistake, but we still love you. And then closed the door and left for eight hours. Um, you know, so, so that really messes, that really messes your head up. Is I'll there, tell you that much. Is there more uh, that you're able to give us around the context of your parents? I mean, you, you shared that they were from Brazil. They were new. They were first generation immigrants and, you describe, you know, your first description of them. Obviously, we hadn't gotten into the interview much yet, but was that they were hardworking folks. They were out, you know, working so much of the time, just uh, trying to, you know, in my mind, I was thinking they were working so hard for the benefit of the family and everything. Did they have just incredibly, horribly traumatic childhoods themselves or, or trauma that that created this oh, yeah. kind of violence in them? Oh yeah, yeah. Like my my uh, my dad was the oldest in his family. He was the black sheep. Uh, so you can imagine, you know, being the oldest boy uh, in a Mennonite uh, family environment on a farm of all places. Uh, you can imagine, uh, you know, the abuse that his dad would give him. Uh, you know, being the oldest, and then my mom, uh, you know, she had, uh, um, uh, you know, older siblings, and you know, uh, it wasn't uncommon for my mom as a child. Uh, back in the day in Brazil, uh, you know, she was, used to tell me stories where she used to wake up with, uh, um, I don't know if it's boa constrictors or pythons or something. Like there, there'd be a massive snake in her bed beside her, wow. uh, you know, because they didn't have, they, did, they had dirt floors, you know, they didn't have, uh, you know, the luxuries of what we had. And so um, it wasn't uncommon for uh, her to wake up with snakes wrapped around her legs or in the same bed with her just to stay so that they could stay warm. Uh, well, and, you know, her brother. As, as scary as that is, that's that's different than physical abuse, right? Yeah, my mom took some physical abuse too, and and it's interesting because my mom used to tell me a story when my dad and, and my mom were first married, um, and they're living on, on their own. Uh, my my dad and the neighbor went out, uh, I guess, on a pub crawl, if you want to call it call it that. Because my dad was an alcohol, you know, was was an undiagnosed alcoholic womanizer. Um, and anyways, there, so, so, you know, the, the first thing that my, uh, my mom gets exposed to when she's, you know, uh, has her own independence, uh, my dad and, and the neighbor, uh, and this is in Brazil, they, they come back from the bar and, you know, the neighbor, the neighbor has a bullet in his arm. Uh, and, and so, you know, they, they came back uh, to the house. They were, they were both inebriated, completely, uh, uh, drunk. And, you know, it's like, Here's, you know, the, that my, my dad gave his neighbor a wooden spoon, say chomp on that. He took his bottle of whiskey, poured it on the bullet, on, on the, on the, on the bullet wound, and then asked my mom to use kitchen utensils to go out and dig the bullet out of the guy's arm. Oh my uh, God. and that was, that was her first, uh, you know, that was like, Hey, welcome to married, married life. Wow. So, you know, you know, that's, 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 that's kind of the, the shit that they, they dealt with, um, and, and, you know, and on my, on my mom's side, the four brothers, uh, they were notorious for, you know, having lots of guns and, and, uh, you know, they would go into the bars, um, and, you know, if there's four brothers and they would sit 
uh, at a table. And, and this is like, you know, with the Mexican uh, sombreros and, and they had like bullet uh, belts that go you know, across their chest. And they would sit in, in the bar with, with their um, their backs to each other so that everyone had a, a, a clear view of the room while they drank whiskey. You know, and they had, you know, they they'd had they had one they had one hand on the bottle, one hand on their pistol, um, and I, that's how her brothers uh, grew up. Wow. So four years old, you get this this traumatic ordeal with the fire, the bar, the grill, the the situation with your parents, then abusing you and blaming you for being injured when you got pushed into the grill, and uh, yep, and then. You from that experience, you develop. It sounds like you develop three of your personalities. One that is still four years old when it comes to the surface. It sounds like, yep, correct. And, and then two others. So you had that was the development of three personalities. Do you think those personalities uh, evolved immediately, and you just were unaware of them, or did they not? Uh, and I may have kind of alluded to this earlier, or or are you saying when eighteen, when when everything kind of came to a head? Is when they first evolved. Uh, no, I I, I, I do have uh, recollection of of hearing uh, a voice in my head, um, not mine, um, when I was four years old, laying in that bed. Okay, right. Telling me, telling me that the world's a dangerous place that you can't trust anybody. Um, so I, I remember though, like I, I, it wasn't myself negative. It wasn't negative talk. It was, it was basically, it was, it was that personality that was, uh, talking to me. Yeah. Um, and, and just, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of dissociative identity disorder is also that this is a real coping mechanism for you, right? When you're in such a traumatic situation that it's a way to dissociate from yourself, and then you create this new personality who ends up kind of uh, so that you can take yourself out of that situation. Absolutely. So it was, it was, it was, it's basically as, as um, uh, my therapist, his name is Dr. Bill. I'll refer to him as Dr. Bill. Um, so yeah. So Dr. Bill, Bill has just told me over the years, it's like, you know, the, the DID is, is a protective, uh, your body protecting yourself, protecting itself against harm. Right. Um, so a lot of people have, so, so most people would go through a stressful situation and process all the, the trauma, uh, right then and then, um, my body, I would fragment, I, you know, that's what my, that's, that's the protective me- mechanism that my body would go through. It would just fragment and, and, and a new personality would pop out. Right. And my understanding is also that there's, it's not like there's a cure for DID, but you learn to live and manage the different personalities, but they would most likely always be with you. That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why so, you see the therapist and so forth to help you along. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. There's no, no medication for it. There's right. no pill. There's nothing you yeah. can do about it. You know, and then, and then so, so, uh, yeah. So some from, so from four to 10, uh, there were, there was a ton of abuse. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I, it's just mind boggling every time I think about that, that, and, and that's, and that in itself is its own identity as well. And that's, was, was that, ab- was that abuse as severe as the situation you just told us? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. No, I had like, you know, my, my family of origin, uh, if you know, anything and everything, uh, was weaponized, 
And then in order for me to, um, and this was my coping mechanism, um, in order for me to uh, endure what I had to go through, like, for example, um, you know, my mom, uh, at one point, uh, I can't remember how old I was, but, uh, she kicked me down the, the stairs backwards. Uh, um, uh, and you know, I, ro- I rolled all the way down a flight of stairs, uh, backwards where my brothers were at the bottom and they just happened to see me there and they beat the shit out of me. And then they threw me back up, up the stairs to my mom again, uh, where I went down the stairs backwards once more. Oh, um, so I, I have to ask and, you as a, as an educator, uh, were you going to school on a regular basis and were you showing up with all of these injuries and did any educator ever intervene? Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. It, it's coming. Okay. Uh, you know, I just want to, I just want you to know that, that, you know, whatever my parents did to me, my brothers did to me, uh, I used to wake up in the middle of the night, uh, and I would take whatever weapon they used and, and, you know, do my, my ribs in, uh, a hundred times. Um, you know, 50, 50 times a side as hard as I could, uh, or, or I threw, I threw my, my own self down the stairs a hundred times. I kid you not. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, and when I look at that situation, I'm thinking, how the hell did I survive that without having any broken bones or a broken neck? You're saying um, you did that to yourself? Yeah. And why would you be doing that to yourself? So, so, so here's, a, so I watched a, uh, Muhammad Ali in a fight once. Um, and they were talking about, I think it was the rope-a-dope or something like that. And they're saying that, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali, his, his strategy was is to bring people in, take as much abuse as possible so that the other, to the body that is, so that the, uh, the, um, opponent would get punch drunk or, or just tire out, uh, in, in case in, in point, I mean, look at George Foreman and Ali, uh, Foreman, you know, George Foreman was a superior athlete, the most powerful, the, the more powerful athlete. Um, but Ali just did the rope of dope, put his hands over his, his head and, and that, and let uh, uh, Foreman go to, go to town on his ribs until Foreman was so tired that he couldn't keep his arms up. And then that's when, that's when Ali picked them apart and knocked them out. So, so, you know, I saw that and I'm thinking, okay, so all I gotta do is, is, is figure out, you know, I figured out early on. If I can absorb more pain than they can dish out, then it's not going to hurt me as much. Right. So that was my mentality uh, behind that. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to put myself through, you know, uh, 10, 50 times more uh, violent um, uh, assaults than they'll put me through. And then that way, when they do come after me, um, I, can, I can take it and, and not break a sweat. Yeah, essentially toughen and, yourself up and get ready for it. Yeah, so so basically, you know, and and then uh, because I was so uh, um, uh, I was such in that mindset. I mean, you know, uh, what what usually happened was my parents or my brothers would beat the crap out of me, and I'd start laughing uh, as they're beating the crap out of me, and uh, that would make them even more angry. Uh, and so they would just like just try to try to break me and. Yeah, and the more they tried to break me, the harder I would laugh. Uh, so that's that's how that played out. Wow. Um, was that detrimental to me? I have no idea. All I know is I did what I had to do to survive. So, anyways, so so yeah, so getting back to 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 my childhood. So yeah, so at ten at ten years old, this is where things got really interesting. Um, 
So in the springtime of 10, when I was 10 years old, uh, I, I hit a point where I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take what my family was doing to me. So I used to wake up in the middle of the night, go to my kitchen, uh, you know, grab big butcher knives. I used to have two big butcher knives. And I go stand beside my, my, my parents' bed, uh, bed in the middle of the night watching them sleep. And I used to keep thinking, I can put this blade through your chest. I can cut your, 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 you know, slice your throat open and you can't do a damn thing. Um, and then, and you know, and I did it to my mom, I did it to my dad, I did it to my brothers. And then, uh, ironically, I just happened to be watching some, uh, nature program, uh, that my brother, you know, sat me in front of the TV one day. And I remember, uh, um, an indigenous or native person saying that, no one has the right to take another person's or another living being's life. And for some reason that resonated and that stuck in my head. And I realized that I, I can't, I can't kill my family. Um, you know, I'm not a murderer. Right. And, and so, so from that perspective, I realized, but the one thing that they didn't, that, that the, the, that wasn't said in that quote was, um, the, we, or, or, you know, me as an individual, I have the right to take my own life. And so that's how I looked at it. So in June of, of, you know, the summer when I was 10 years old, um, I decided one day I was going to throw myself in front of a, of a, a moving car, uh, and kill myself. And, uh, so I did that. I threw myself into a front of a moving car. I think it was like a 1978, uh, Monte Carlo. And I knew the minute I hit that bumper and I was in, in midair, I knew I was going to survive. And that's the worst feeling, uh, you can ever have as someone trying to commit suicide is realizing that you just failed. Um, and so I hit that bumper. I went about 20 feet. I bounced down the road a few times and I just remember all I could think of is I got to get up. I got to run. Um, and so I got up and I ran and, and, you know, people were chasing me and, and I hit out in a, a cemetery until late at night. And then that's when I made my, my way back home. Um, you know, my parents, you know, my, my brothers were asking me, what happened to you? I said, I just fell off my bike. I wiped out. Uh, you know, that's how I, ex uh, explained all the, all the scratches and everything on me. Right. And then, Late, a month later, uh, I decided that, oh, you know what? I, I know where there's a pool. Uh, I'm going to go for a swim and, you know, take my last swim. And so uh, I ended up diving into a pool um, and I swam down to the bottom and I grabbed a, a, the, the drain uh, uh, grate and I wrapped both my hands around that as tight as I could and uh, forced myself to, to drown. Um, and you, you don't know what it takes. Uh, I'll tell you this. No one knows what it takes to, 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 um, mentally force yourself not to let go and, and actually face death head on. Uh, because I did, you know, uh, as, as far as I'm aware, I was told I was pulled out of the pool with no vitals. Um, so, I mean, to me that, I mean, you know, you might as well just tell me I was dead. And so, um, you know, this, this gentleman who's walking past the pool just saw me flowing on top of it. And I guess I got lucky because he, he went and jumped over the fence, pulled me out of the pool, uh, you know, and then basically pounded the shit out of my chest, 
uh, you know, to and it, it was kind of like it was kind of like in the movies, you know, where where there's that long period of time where you're like, don't die on me, don't die on me, because that I think that's what was going through his head because it was the last punch in the in the in the chest that I actually spit out the water out of my lungs. Wow. Um, and then, you know, he asked me, he said, uh, he said, what happened? And I said, Oh, I dove into the pool. And last thing I remember I hit, uh, I hit my head and you know, I have to understand this is, you know, times were different back then. So it was basically, okay, well, you know, don't do that again. And you know, there were no, there were no doctors, there were no, no, um, uh, paramedics. No one was called, you know, it was just, you know, don't do that again. And he went his way and I went my way. Right. Um, and so, you know, that, that, you know, that was that. And then, uh, a month later, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I found a 20 foot, uh, high slide, uh, in a playground. And, uh, I don't even think I was, I don't even think I was trying to, you know, but when I look back at it, I don't remember being suicidal. Um, I, but I remember climbing that ladder thinking, oh, I'm going to slide down the slide and have fun. By the time I got to the top, Next thing I know, before I even could do anything, I was I, I dove head first off the top of that 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 slide, uh, you know, try to stake myself into the ground. Um, so, you know, I, I hit the ground head first and uh, um, and, and I folded like a, a, a um, I folded like a little jackknife. But uh, the only problem was, is that uh, I folded the opposite of the way your hips work. So, you know, uh, I hurt my back, uh, almost broke, you know, almost broke myself in half, uh, with that. I don't know how long I was on the ground for, I don't know how, how long I was unconscious. Um, but yeah, I was unconscious for a while. And, and when I came to, I had a massive headache and, you know, could barely walk my back hurt so much. Um, but you know, and that was my third attempt. Uh, and then after that, um, I kind of left it, I kind of left it there and then, you know, carried on with my life going through a lot of violence, uh, in the home, a lot of violence, uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, cause I hung out with some really bad people. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, at 13, um, I, I got chased down by, by police. I was by myself and they, uh, they, they caught me in an alleyway and, and basically the one police officer, he, he, uh, was on lookout and then the other one, uh, you know, literally tried to put my head through a brick wall. And once he spit me open and, uh, you know, and I fell to the ground, he, uh, he took his, uh, billy club out and, and pretty much, uh, went after, uh, uh, every joint you can think of elbows shoulders knees ankles what had, uh, the only what thing made I, him be become so aggressive with you uh is because uh you know it, it's it's guilt by association you know i i was I, I hung out with with some really nasty people uh you know um and their older brothers and there's a lot of criminal elements a lot of drug uh drugs involved dealers you, you name it uh you know so so i guess they knew that i was associated to that so you know they wanted to send a message and so they they took me out wow. and uh sent, sent sent a message to the neighborhood you know by by beating the shit out of me and i got i gotta be honest it's the first it was the first time it was the first time as a as a as a kid that you know when i went home that night um that was a bloody mess uh i didn't get beat up 
you know, like no one in my family beat me up that day. They just left me alone. Right. So, um, you know, so I found that kind of interesting, you know, when I look back at things now and then, um, and then, you know, around 13, 14, we moved to a different neighborhood. So we were in a different neighborhood. So we got all that, all that, all that bad stuff. Um, and then, uh, at 16, uh, my mother pulled an, uh, a butcher knife on me. Um, cause my dad and my mom were prepping dinner that night and uh, I guess my mom and I got an argument. And so she had a, like a six inch butcher knife in her hand. She, I don't know what I said to her. I can't remember the details, but I just remember she turned around, flipped that blade upside down and pressed it into my stomach and, and right below my belly button said, I'm going to gut you like a pig if you don't shut up. And, and, uh, uh, that really fucked me up, uh, royally. And, and so I freaked out. My dad, you know, stood behind her, did absolutely nothing. Uh, and so, um, I, I basically, you know, ran to my room, grabbed a few things, grabbed, you know, grabbed some of my narcotics that I had hidden, grabbed some of the alcohol I had hidden, uh, went through all the medicine cabinets, found anything, I, any kind of drug you could think of, um, and, and, and left, uh, went to, to, drove to, uh, a church where my brothers were at, um, they were involved in a, in a youth group, and, basically told my brothers what happened and they, they said, Oh, you're exaggerating. You're full of shit. Uh, get lost. And we're going back to, to our youth group. And then the youth group, uh, director was asking me what was going on. And I told him and he said, uh, he said, he said, no, he said, your parents are really nice. He said, I don't believe you. He said, why don't you just go and, and, you know, go home, stop seeking attention. Wow. And, uh, you know, and so that happened. And, and so, uh, just so you know, between, ages of 10 and, and, and that knife incident, that knife incident somewhere in there. Uh, and I think it was more or less when I, between 10 and 13, that's when the, that's when the, uh, school got involved. That's when government agencies got involved. Um, because yeah, I did show up to school with, 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 uh, cuts, bruises, uh, uh, really bad, uh, stitch jobs because I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, I learned at an early age how to, how to stitch myself up, uh, using my mom's sewing kit. Uh, because if I, if I had to go to the hospital, every time I went to the hospital with my parents and I came back, I got a beating. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's like, I might as well just figure out how to stitch my own, my own cuts up and, and, you know, deal with the pain. Nothing like nothing that ice cubes can't deal with or frozen peas, you know, just, numb yourself and then just sew yourself up and away you go. How, how so, many times would you say you stitched yourself up? Uh, I would say probably a dozen. Wow. You know, yeah. um, yeah, about a dozen times. So from, from that, from that aspect, you know, it's, uh, you do what you have to do to survive. And, and, you know, so, so when, so when agencies got involved, Basically, what the, what happened there was they they interviewed my family uh, as a whole, not me, but you know, just the rest of my family. So so they all stuck together with their story, um, you know, and 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 basically my family basically said, oh yeah, Victor, he's a liar, cheat, and thief, uh, you know, and and they left it at that, and and so uh, you know they said, oh Victor likes to exaggerate, uh, active imagination, um, 
And so when they asked me, I, I told them the truth. They didn't believe me. Wow. And they just let it go. You know, so. Yeah, you win some, you lose some, I suppose. But uh, anyways, and then so, so yeah, so my my fourth suicide attempt came that night at 16. Um, I don't know. I, I put in, I, I, I probably consumed about $500 worth of cocaine. I uh, can't tell you how much alcohol uh, I drank um, from, from, you know, beer to, to uh, tequila. Like, I, you know, I might as well have been drinking turpentine at that point, um, you know, and, and all the narcotics I put in me uh, didn't kill me. You know, I woke up the next day, felt like shit, but I woke up the next day and was still there and I just went, oh, shit. And so try to try to pick up the pieces move on uh you know i knew that that you know for for with, with my family it was every man for themselves that's basically what i learned at an early early age um and then my next uh my next suicide attempt happened at 18 uh so the week prior to to the suicide attempt one of my my identities came out and and literally beat me to an inch of my life um and and so at that point, uh, at that point, I said, you know what, I'm going to kill that demon by 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 killing myself. And so I, I ended up getting um, I ended up getting uh, buying three times, three times the amount of of everything that I used when I was 16. I, I said, I'm going to times everything by three. Um, so and then to top it all off, I also brought a rope with me. Uh, and so I went to the forest with my knapsack full of full of all my goodies, uh, you know, drank like a fish, snorted cocaine, you name it, anything. I, I put everything in me. And, you know, I climbed up a tree, um, you know, drinking the whole time and smoke and pot and, 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 and snorting cocaine and, and whatnot. I was so I was so looped. It, it, it wasn't even funny. Um, and I tied I tied a noose around my neck. I tied the rope to the tree, the branch I was sitting in. And I think, you know, when, when I look at hindsight, I think I think it was an accidental because I think I fell out of the tree uh, as I was trying to get out of the uh, climb down because I was trying to probably going, you know, either changing my mind or probably trying to find something else to consume. Um, but I fell out of the tree. And and so when I, I, I you know, I, I dropped like a stone, uh, there was two bounces. I, I felt the first bounce. Uh, I bounced back up. By the time I hit the second bounce, I was passed out. I was out like a light. And I don't know how much time passed, but when I came to uh, Al, I was on the ground and there was a broken rope uh, laying across my chest. So uh, at that point, I realized, you know, I can continue this path and have correctional services, you know, take care of me for the rest of my life. Or I can bury everything and all the trauma, everything, not think about, put it behind me, move out of, out of my house go to school somewhere else uh, out of town and, and try to live a, a different life. And I turned down a full, full ride scholar or not scholarship, but a full ride university degree um, at the local university where my mom were. Uh, I turned down uh, a university degree all paid for, for the most part, uh, just to get out of my, out of my family uh, of origins home. Wow. And so, so from there, I spent, you know, the next 20 some odd years trying to trying to live uh, a normal life, uh, trying to live like everyone else, trying trying to fit in. 
Um, and you had all those memories and you knew all of those things. Those didn't come out through therapy. Those were memories you still had and held with you, but tried to bury. Oh, I buried them. I didn't yeah. think about them all. Right. I buried them. Yeah. It was, I never talked, I never spoke to anyone about my childhood. I never spoke to anyone. You know, the only thing that came close is what I did as a, you know, a teenager. Uh, but my early childhood, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't tell anyone. So how, no uh, how far away did you move from the family and did you keep in touch with them? Yeah, I moved, I moved, uh, uh, you know, um, I moved an hour away. I went, I moved into the big city, Toronto, um, and, uh, you know, spent a few years there. Uh, you know, ended up getting, uh, you know, me and my wife getting married. Still keeping um, in touch we, with your family at that point? Uh, not really. Uh, not really. Uh, you know, I, 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 I limited as, as the exposure to my family as much as I could. Um, and then, uh, oh yeah. So then after all that, um, you know, I got married, I finished school, got married, had a job. Uh, you know, life was grand, uh, you know, family was growing. Um, and, and, you know, my fam, my, my mom, my mom, well, at this point, my mom and my dad divorced. Um, and my dad was a no, he, he was a no show, uh, because, uh, to this day, I mean, it's been 20, almost 22 years now since the last time I spoke to my dad, uh, face to face. And, um, Essentially, uh, when I, you know, when we, we exchanged emails here and there and, and his big thing is, is, you know, um, he, he's, he's, he's afraid of me because, uh, you know, he thinks I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, beat him up. Um, and, and his fear comes from when I was, uh, 16, 17, uh, I used to do a lot of powerlifting and, 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 and whatnot and, uh, one day he came into the garage to, to lay a beating on me. And, uh, you know, he had a closed fist. Uh, he took his first shot at my head. Uh, you know, it connected and I stood up, uh, you know, spit out the blood out of my mouth, looked at him, laughed and said, now it's my fucking turn. And, uh, I literally walked up to him, grabbed him by the throat, uh, you know, squished it as hard as I could. His face was turning blue and I just, I used my one arm. And I just one arm, put him up against the wall and I said, you ever touch me like that again, I will fucking kill you. That's what I told him. Wow. And from that point, he, uh, he left me alone. Wow. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's my family dynamics. Yeah. Um, you know, so, 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 so to go to, to, you know, to, to the question you asked me earlier on, I'll, I'll let you be the judge whether or not I was pushed or whether or not I was by accident uh, fell into that barbecue. Well, yeah, I think that's a clear answer after hearing this story. Holy shit, that's a lot, Victor. Um, did you, yeah. you, you mentioned not seeing your dad face to face in over 20 years. How about your mom and your brothers? Uh, yeah, so, so uh, my eldest brother, he ended up moving out west. Um, so he's still out West. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I spoke to him this year, uh, briefly. Um, and this is a really interesting point because I spoke to him this year briefly where he dropped a bomb in my lap. Uh, and the bomb that he dropped in my lap was his admission to sexually abusing me as a child. Um, which I didn't, I didn't know. Um, 
so that was kind of that was kind of interesting and uh as for my mom uh you know she she was there for the grandchildren uh you know um she was a good grandmother she was just a really shitty parent uh wasn't that tough you know, for you to see her with your kids after yeah, how she had it was. treated you and, and yeah, what it was. what it was, was it a, what was it that that even allowed you to allow her to see your kids uh i did it for my my family uh i did it for my my wife i did it for for my kids um so that uh you know they they at least knew that that you know i had parents uh, or at least a parent and 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 you know they um I wanted my, my, you know, uh, I didn't want to, the best way to put it is what right do I have to deny, uh, my children, um, access to, to their grandmother. Uh, and, and I, and I, and I say that, uh, trust me, I, I made sure there were safety precautions, um, put in place. Uh, and I told my mom, uh, from the get-go, uh, you know, I pulled her aside and I said, you hurt my kids, consider yourself dead. Uh, and I said, and, and I told her, I said, I'll return the favor. I'll make sure I gut you like a pig. And, uh, from that day on, she, she, you know, she knew her place. So that's how I dealt. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know, I've never been in the situation you were in, but I don't know if I could ever let a mother like that. I don't know if I would have kept in touch with her at all when I left when I was 18. And I don't know if I would ever let her come near my kids after all that she had done to you. But I think that that, that makes, I mean, I think very highly of you for being able to do it. Like you said, to, to give your, your kids the, to give them the opportunity to meet your mom and to understand and meet your family uh, I just, I don't know if I would be able to do that. So I give you credit for it. Yeah. You see my, my, my dad, he's, he's a coward. He, he, he's, 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 he's spineless. He's, he's a coward. Um, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now. I, I told him at 16 that, you know, he lay, lay a hand on me and kill him. Uh, and ever since that day, our relationship changed forever. And, uh, you know, to this day, he, he, you know, he, he's, he's fearful. He's fearful of me. Um, so I guess, I guess I, you know, I, I drove that point home with him. I guess that, that day in that garage, I think that scared the shit out of him. Um, so, you know, and, and, and so he, he never tried to force his way in, uh, where my mom was a little more persistent. And, and because my, my old, older brother, um, had a child the same age as my eldest daughter. Uh, and I watched my mom, uh, um, with her. And, and so that kind of, you know, I went, okay, who am I to deny my, my kids access to that? But like I said, I pulled my mom aside and, and, uh, you know, I laid the law with down with her. And, and so, you know, she, uh, God give my mom kudos for that. She, uh, you know, she stayed true. To, to the parameters I put in place. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, and then my mom died uh, a few years ago uh, from, uh, um, I think it was cancer or something like that. Okay. So, 
had you seen her during the time she was ill? Yeah. Yeah. My kids were there. We, you know, um, you know, and, uh, yeah. Did, you know, did we, your mom, I, I, did, did your mom ever kind of apologize for any of the things she put you through? Was there ever a reconciliation or an apology? No, no. But, you know, and, and, you know, even though, even though, um, you know, she was an abuser, uh, and did what she did to me, uh, I told her on her, the, the day before she died, I, I told her on her deathbed, um, you know, and, and before she lost, lost mental capacity, uh, I told her that, uh, I'll get a little choked up here, but I told her on her deathbed that, that, you know, she did all right with her raising her kids with what she had. And, uh, you know, at least I gave her dignity when she died. Yeah, wow, you are quite a man to be able to do that. I don't know. I think everyone who who's on their deathbed, uh, regardless of friend, foe, enemy, adversary, I think they, I think anyone who's dying, uh, you deserve dignity in, in and, death. So, and, and I guess anybody or myself who would may push back on that might ask you like, what kind of dignity should, did she give you as a four year old, five years old, you know, all your childhood, the time when you need that love and care. Um, but, but again, I give you kudos for, for how you handled it. Yeah. And Al, I'll, I'll be honest with you. My, my, um, my perspective on life, uh, changed after I died. Uh, you know, and because, because no one knows, like my, my, my family, they didn't know. No, my parents didn't know. My brothers didn't know. No one knew that I committed suicide or I tried to commit suicide five times under their watch, you know? So, uh, I know what, I know what it's like to die alone. I know what it's like to be alone. And so, um, from that perspective, uh, you know, the first time I died, I didn't have any dignity. Um, so when you go through that process, your values change, it changes you. Uh, and so, you know, I just knew that, that, you know, no one deserves to, 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 to experience what I experienced, the loneliness of, of dying. And, uh, so that's why I gave my mom, uh, her dignity when yeah. she died. That's impressive. So, and then, so, and then, you know, that's, that's the first half of my story. And then, you know, um, like I said, for 23 years there, I, I tried to, I, you know, I was a great, uh, uh, I was a great thespian, you know, I, I faked it until I made it. I, you know, I, I acted the part. I don't know how well I acted the part when I did. Um, but like I said, in 2000, uh, well, I, I became a workaholic. That was, that was, uh, one of the byproducts of, of my childhood, um, you know, I threw, threw myself at work, uh, all the time. And, you know, before I was 40 on my 39th birthday that year, uh, one day I just dropped, uh, unexplained, just dropped to the ground. Uh, next thing I know, when I woke up, I found myself in a cardiac arrest, uh, a cardiac ward, uh, people running tests on me and, and, and whatnot. And I spent several days, um, in, in that, in that, uh, in that ward. Uh, people try and figure out what happened to me. And so, um, through that experience, I learned a lot about, uh, work life balance. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then I worked for a, an employer, um, who I would say, you know, 
at that point, no one really knew mental illness and, and, you know, there was no tolerance for, for, for that. Uh, even though I sold my soul to, to the devil, um, you know, all those years, uh, their parting gift was, uh, you know, a, a severance package. And they said, have a nice day when I returned back from sick leave. Wow. Uh, that's how they dealt, it dealt with me. And then, um, so I went through several jobs, had lots of job losses, and, uh, you know, moved my family, uh, out West, uh, spent a year out, out in Alberta, um, uh, came back and, 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 you know, it didn't help that my eldest daughter, and this is all I'm going to say, my eldest daughter had some trauma and, and mental illnesses that she was dealing with and addictions, uh, that she was dealing with, um, around the 2014 timeframe. And so, uh, you know, that put, that put a little more stress on, on me. So, um, when I did move, so when I did move my family out West, bought a house, uh, worked out there, didn't work out. Uh, all my contacts were back in Ontario. Um, everyone I spoke to wanted me back in Ontario because there's, you know, it was booming here and they needed people. And so I moved back, um, by myself and I was, I was here for, for six months by myself, just couch surfing. And, uh, I had a manic depressive episode, uh, where I, uh, I didn't sleep for seven days and about the third day, uh, and I was drinking probably like a 40 ounce of whiskey a day, trying to, you know, get myself drunk enough to pass out so I can, you know, at least rest. Uh, but that didn't work out. And, uh, I ended up, um, I ended up going to see, see a, a dropping clinic, see a doctor. He gave me, I don't know, about a hundred some odd sleeping pills. Uh, why that many? I have no idea. Um, but he gave me sleeping pills. Didn't ask, didn't ask me anything about the, 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 the rate of, of how I was consuming alcohol. And on the seventh day, I ended up, I ended up, uh, taking over 80 plus sleeping pills in one shot, washed it all down with a, a 40 ounce of whiskey, uh, to only be knocked out for an hour. And when I woke up, I was, uh, I've never been so sober in my life when I woke up. Um, and I looked around the room and I saw the bottles and I saw, you know, the empty alcohol bottles. I saw the empty pill bottle and went, that's not good. And, and, and then decide that I need help. And, uh, so my entry, my, um, and, and then, you know, um, after that happened, I, I did get, I did go back, get my family, brought them back, uh, back to Ontario and, um, essentially, uh, you know, seek, sought out help. Uh, but my, my, um, the way I sought out help and this is, and this is one of the things that one of the, the things I've, that I'm critical about the, um, mental health, um, system in Ontario and, 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 you know, part of my advocacy work is, is that, um, there isn't a, a single point of entry into the mental health, uh, system. There isn't one throat to choke. And so, uh, uh I, I had to go through, you know, I went through the internet googled googled uh you know psychotherapy or google therapy and spent hours reading people's web pages and found a therapist that you know her her um uh web page resonated with me so i called her up and and you know we her and i had a rough start um because i was so skeptical and 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 whatnot and a lot of i've had a lot of uh agencies and and and, and healthcare workers uh, over the years fail me um, and so I was so used to people failing me that, uh, 
you know, I would challenge this. I would challenge that my, my therapist, my ex therapist, I would challenge her all the time saying, how do I know you're not going to fail me? You know, she's like, well, wait. And, and so it was, it was a rough start, but we got, you know, somehow we got past it. Uh, somehow she figured out how to break my hard shell, uh, you know, pull out, uh, you know, um, and maybe in hindsight, you know, I don't know, maybe she regrets ever doing that, uh, breaking that, that shell open, uh, because she was ill prepared, uh, for what was coming out of me. She, uh, she lacked training in, uh, uh, identity disorder, even though her webpage says that she handles dissociation and parts work that is completely different, uh, apparently, um, by the governing body of psychotherapy in Ontario, um, than, uh, working with someone with, uh, DID, even though if you, if you look at the, even though if you look at how, you know, you know, there's dissociation parts work, you know, specifically that's how they worded it on her webpage. And then when you look at the social identity disorder, well, dissociation is actually in the title of the disorder. And when you look at multiple personalities, what are those? They're parts yeah. of the whole. So, you know, to me, it didn't make any sense. Um, anyways, so, so long story did, did short. She, did she explain any kind of the difference at all? Because you're right. Like if it, if she describes herself as working with dissociation and parts, that's DID from my understanding of it, right? You, you have yeah. different parts, different, uh, alters. And, uh, did she, did she speak to that at all? Uh, well, it gets kind of interesting, um, because at that point, um, See, I, I started seeing her in 2014. By 2015, I was uh, uh, institutionalized uh, for a couple weeks, and by and, by your uh, own doing or mandated. Uh, a little bit of both. So, so let me explain. So, um, in 2014, whatever job I had, I, I ended up uh, losing that one too, and so I was unemployed for a little bit, and so I couldn't afford to pay out of pocket for my ex-therapist. So she referred me uh, to my current therapist, Dr. Bill, who's across the hall from me. Um, and so um, because he's a medical doctor, uh, his costs are picked up by the, 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 uh, the province. So he, he bills the province uh, um, for my, for my time with him in, in therapy. Uh, so I, I got, I got lucky that way. Um, I got very lucky to have a, 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 a medical doctor who specializes in psychotherapist or psychotherapy. So uh, it was it wasn't until 2015 that uh, I was initially I was initially diagnosed with emotional dysregulation um, and and childhood trauma. That that's what uh, my ex therapist initially um, diagnosed me with. It wasn't until 2015 with my stay in a, in a psychiatric facility. Um, where I had a meeting, a two, two to three hour meeting with a psychiatrist and a doctor where I, where I, I came across as being fully lucid and, and there. Um, and clearly I wasn't because the very next day that same psychiatrist saw me in the hallway and she's like, you know, started speaking to me like she knew me. And I just about jumped out of my skin and I looked at her and said, who the fuck are you? And she's like, you don't know who I am? And it's like, no. And she's like, oh, come on now. We, we, you know, we, we chatted for three hours yesterday. I'm like, no, we didn't. And so they, they did a bunch of tests and that's when I got the diagnosis of uh, DID. Okay. Um, 
And then, and then from there, what, um, did, did that, was, uh, did that diagnosis of DID when you heard that, like, how did that land with you? Were you surprised? Did it start I, to make sense? Were you angry? I had no idea what DID was at the time. I mean, I was, I was, and, and, and you have to understand at the time too. I mean, when I got checked out of that facility, uh, the, 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 the head psychiatrist there, uh, you know, he gave me some, uh, um, psychotic meds. And, and so, you know, they, like I was I, at that point, I was, I was so, I was in such a fog. Right. Uh, there's all kinds of crap. So, I mean, I, I didn't really know what DID was. I, I didn't even know what complex PTSD was, you know, let alone, uh, you know, childhood trauma. Um, I didn't, I didn't know what half that crap was. I'm just like, oh, you know, and, and then, you know, my, slowly my, uh, you know, uh, and I was brutally honest with people and, and raw and, you know, I told the truth. I said, I said, this is what I, this is how I grew up. And so, um, what happened was in 2016, I had a, uh, well, I'll say between 2014 and 2019, there's a bunch of legal problems. Like I got, I got, you know, well, I, I, I was formed, um, because people didn't understand and not, neither did I, I, I don't, I didn't understand, um, what the hell was going on with me. So I was, I was up and down like a yo-yo. I was emotionally dysregulated. I would say things that would freak people out. They'd call police, police would, you know, come to my house, handcuff me and, and send me off to, to the psych ward, uh, or the emergency department, uh, overnight. Um, it, it, it was pretty bad. And, and, and every, and every time I got picked up, like I said, when I was in, when the public was around, Oh yeah, you know what? They treated me like with 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 uh, kid gloves. But as soon as the public wasn't around, um, and that goes with that goes with the emergency department nurses and and uh, medical staff. The only ones who actually treated me with 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 respect were doctors and and like and psychiatrists. Even though I mean, psychiatrists, like, I, I was I was I was put in hospital so many times during that time period. That you know, I, I was on first name basis with with a lot of psychiatrists in in the hospital. Wow! And you know, they they all knew me, and I said, "Oh, I said, how about you just check off all the boxes and sign off, and you know, let me out." And they're like, "Well, well can't do that, Victor. You have to prove that that uh, you know that that you know you're stable." And I said, "I said, cut the fucking bullshit." I said, you know, I said, I said, it's a game that you play. I said, you don't think I know how to play the fucking game? I said, go ahead then. Let's play it. Let's, I said, let's just play your fucking game. Throw your questions at me and I'll throw what you want to hear. And I'm going to throw what you want to hear and you're going to sign off and you're going to let me out because that's what you guys do. And, and so they didn't like the fact that I would, I would say that to them right to their face. Um, you know, and, 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 and I mean, at one point I refused to answer any of their questions. I said, and I, I knew the guy, I, I knew his, and I'll, and not to, and I'll, I'll just make up a name. I used to call it, you know, here, I'll just say, I'll just refer to him as John. I would say, John, I said, you know, this is my third time, you know, this week or my third time in, in, in two weeks, uh, you know, sitting in this room. And I said, you have your checklist. And I said, I said, I said, let me tell you what the first three questions or the first five questions you're going to ask me. And I used to, I had them memorized. I'm like, you're going to ask me this. You're going to ask me that. 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 And I said, you know, I, I said, I know the game. 
And I said, John, I said, you can either just sign off and that, and let me walk out of here. Or, you know, you can take my, you're going to take my verbal, you know, my, my verbal diarrhea and my rants and I'm going to drive you fucking crazy because I'm not going to, I'm not playing the game anymore. I said, it's either you keep me in here full time or kick me out and, 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 you know, don't invite me back. And so, so, I mean, it kind of got interesting, you know, for a little while there with, 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 you know, with those type of, uh, of questions. And so I got let out. And, and then, so, you know, I had a, uh, uh, two years in, into being with this, with my same, uh, with, you know, with my original therapist and then Dr. Bill tag teaming me, um, I had an eye procedure done, uh, where, uh, you know, they had to, that they had to burn something off me and I was awake for it. And, uh, the one thing that you'll never, uh, take my word for this, uh, one thing that you never forget is the smell of your own burning flesh. Um, and so when I had that eye procedure done, uh, you know, I went to work, uh, went home that night and, you know, all of a sudden I I was triggered and, uh, um, that little boy identity, uh, from that four-year-old self came out, left a voicemail message with my ex-therapist. Um, and then a few minutes later, uh, I don't know what entity came out, but, the uh one of my you know I, i'm assuming it was harris he came out and he left a message something along the lines of uh on my on my um psychotherapist voicemail what something like um i'm coming after you your your family your pets uh um i'm gonna burn your kingdom down so that you know what pain feels like Something along those lines um, was left on her voicemail. So that was a straw that that broke the camel's back. She felt threatened, uh, you know, and then basically after that time period um, and and what made tricky is, you know, my ex-therapist and my current uh, Dr. Bill share uh, office space in the same building on the same floor across the hall from one another. And uh, so... Uh, my ex-therapist, uh, because of, of, of the story that I just told you, and, and, and she knows a lot more about the violence, um, she got scared shitless and essentially took uh, my trauma, uh, my illnesses, uh, my history, um, and turned around, weaponized it all against me, and had me criminally charged. Uh, with uttering threats and um, criminal harassment. Uh, and so I got arrested. Uh, I was on I was on site uh, waiting for my group therapy session one day. And uh, I got triggered uh, by one of her co-workers who, uh, because I felt threatened, because before I got charged, I was, I was charged firstly by my ex-therapist with a restraining order. Um, and, and that didn't work out and was dropped. And then a year later, uh, you know, she, she convinced somebody to come and get me and arrest me and, and and whatnot. And, you know, I had, uh, so I always had this threat and, and this feeling of threat. So I used to carry a six inch, um, hunting, hunting knife in my car and I had a baseball bat in my car and, and, and everyone knew, everyone knew I carried it. 
And, you know, no one said anything until until this whole criminal thing started. And then all of a sudden everyone got freaked out because, you know, um, I was in the parking lot, got triggered by her her colleague who, you know, gave me a smug look one day like she knew like, oh, look at, you know, uh, uh, that doesn't matter. Um, anyway, so she gave me a smug look, triggered me. And so I called the helpline and, you know, told them what was going on, dissociated during that call. Uh, and, and I said I was going to take the baseball bat into my group therapy session to protect myself. And so that freaked everyone out. And so uh, the, uh, the, the uh, crisis line at the time uh, that I was, you know, with that organization, um, they called the police and somehow uh, throughout the, throughout whatever misinterpretation, whatnot, the police thought I was wielding a knife and a baseball bat. And, uh, so, so when they came and got me, uh, they brought a small army to come get me guns drawn, um, tasers drawn, you name it. And, and when they, they, uh, they, you know, convinced me to walk out of my car, I got out of my car. Um, and as soon as I got out of my car, they jumped me, uh, threw me to the ground. Um, and before I knew it, uh, um, all I can remember is I had, I was laying on the ground because it was, uh, um, it just had a, we just had an ice storm. And so I was laying on the ground in the cold was waking me up and I had my hands behind my back and before the cuffs were on. And then all of a sudden I started feeling the boots to the ribs. Um, and because of my, my DID and dissociation, when I brought that up with police a few days later, they accused me of lying and they accused me of acting and, and, um, saying that, uh, I didn't have mental illness that I, that if I can remember that, then I wasn't, I wasn't sick. So say that again, they said that if you were remembered that you had DID, no, if I, if I remembered the fact that they kicked me in the ribs oh. or if I, you know, that, you know, then, then they were, you know, they they accused me of, of not having DID and, and just acting. But you did have a, an official diagnosis of DID from a psychiatrist, right? Or a psychologist. Yep. Right. Oh yeah. But you know, police, police know best. Right. So, uh, anyways, so I ended up, uh, I ended up, uh, eventually, uh, going to court. Um, did don't, they bring don't you recall. to, did they bring you in right away? And did you do some time in jail waiting? No, no, they didn't. I didn't go to jail. I, I did a night. I did a night in, in the hospital. Um, okay. so, well, they did actually, well, they, I, yeah. So they did bring me to jail the first time. Um, I don't remember. I, I kind of remember, but I don't remember. Like I, I had these, these, these little images that pop up, like just a split, split second and goes away. Right. Um, but the police reports told me later that, uh, I dissociated in the police station. Uh, and, uh, I started having, um, I was convulsing and all kinds of things were going on. And so the police got, uh, some of the police got worried and they called the, the paramedics and they came, pick me up and off. I went to, to another psych ward. Uh, you know, or, or holding for the, for the night. And then, you know, of course they were, you know, they want breathalyzers. They, they, they did all kinds, they ran all kinds of tests because they thought I was drunk. Um, but that's one of the side effects of, um, or how, how you can present yourself sometimes in a DID state, you appear as that you're drunk, but you're not. Right. Um, 
and so they thought I was drunk and, and, you know, uh, they, they confiscated my baseball bat. They, they took my knife. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I ended up going to, I ended up going to, to court. Uh, I don't remember like, and I'll have, I'll be honest with you. I don't remember being arrested. I don't remember being, uh, like officially arrested. I don't remember being questioned. Um, I remember driving away from the police. I remember driving to police station and then I remember driving away from the police station with, uh, uh, charges and a, a a document saying show up at court on this day and so i'm like well this is interesting and uh yeah so um i i ended up uh, associating in in court i was supposed to have mental health support workers they were there i think the first or first one or two times but then after that they disappeared and it was because my relationship with um the leading agency in my community and, and they're called the Canadian mental health association. And there's, there's different levels. There's a federal level, a provincial level, and then there's a regional level or city level. Um, anyways, uh, uh, they, they ended up, uh, uh, putting my life at risk multiple times. Um, and, you know, banned me once without any, any supports. And I try to put a drill through my head, uh, uh, multiple times in a three-week period um and the only thing that stopped me from plunging a drill through my head was i ripped my nose hairs out uh on the on the drill bit which made me drop the bill and or drop the the drill and i can tell you that hurt like hell uh so this was nose hairs ripped out this was when you were you went back home yeah this is after yeah this is after being arrested yeah and uh and, and is, you, you said know, they put you at risk and in what ways did they put you at risk yeah, so so this organization called CMHA, so they put me at risk when they banned me um, from using their services, their crisis line. Uh, they were my sole support, and as I was going through the court pro- process, as 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 I was being uh, uh, hung, um, and so they 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 said, "Oh, you know, uh, you're, you're too much to handle. Um, we're gonna take a break." And so they banned me the first time for three weeks. Uh, and this organization and it's the same organization that deemed me, um, a safety risk and, and they may deem me a risk of harming others. Um, at the same time, you know, they didn't do a client risk assessment saying what's going to happen if we, if we cut them loose and, uh, that's criminal negligence. And so, you know, they, they hung me, they, they hung me out to dry that organization. And so, uh, like I said, what, I tried uh, to put a drill. So in what would have, uh, been the best move do you think for them to make? Uh, do you think like they should have taken you from the court and brought you to a hospital for support? Or do you just think they no, should never have limited you from the crisis line? Well, what they should have done is, is yeah, you know what, go ahead, ban me, but they should have given me the number of the crisis support uh, group that I, that I, that I use now, uh, a great organization called the St. Leonard Society, um, which ironically, it wasn't until I was permanently banned from CMHA two weeks after they reinstated me. Um, it wasn't until they permanently banned me that they actually gave me this number to St. Leonard Society. How and why did they permanently ban you? Uh, they didn't like the fact that, uh, my emotional dysregulation, the, the F bombs, um, 
they you know they they cited that i put too many demands on on their frontline unionized workers and uh and the fact that um they told me that their their frontline staff uh because of legislation within the province of ontario that uh their safety in the workplace and so um you know the the ongoing barrage of f bombs uh apparently is uh uh, something that, uh, you know, uh, and it's at the discretion of the caller, of course, if the caller, if, if the person taking the call feels unsafe or disrespected or, um, you know, well, feels unsafe, basically, uh, they have the right to hang up the phone. And so they, they claim that, uh, you know, it was a workplace safety issue when it came to me. So they, uh, they turned around and banned me for life. That is really interesting, given the fact that it is people in the midst yeah. of crises who are calling them. Yeah, well, exactly. So, I mean, you know, and so you think, OK, you're a frontline support worker, people who can't control their emotions. And you have to understand by this time, uh, by this time in the process, and this 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 all took place from 2015 onward to 2019. You have to understand at the same time I, was, I had emotional dysregulation, I had legal problems, I had all kinds of issues going on. Uh, I was battling with alcoholism. I was battling um, uh, narcotics, like like, like uh, pharmaceuticals, substance abuse. Uh, you know, I, I I was I was taking um, thirty pills a day. Wow, that was my prescription. Was thirty pills a day, and a lot of it had to do with it was like here are one or two um, psychotic meds. And then all of a sudden I started having side effects to those psychotic meds. So they're like, oh, here's some side, you know, we're going to apply these meds to take care of those side effects. And then I take those meds and then all of a sudden I would be developing side effects to the side effects meds. So they threw more meds on top of it. And so, and then at that point, my blood pressure was going up and down. I I was hospitalized uh, because I had no blood pressure. Uh, I was hospitalized because I was, I had high blood pressure. Um, you know, they clocked my, my blood pressure at one point north of 250. Uh, you know, and, and the guy looked at me and said, I don't know how you're still standing here and you're not dead. And I'm like, well, I don't know. But, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it was like, I, I, I was, I was a guinea pig, man. I went through the ringer. Right. Um, you know, and, and so, so to this day, uh, yeah. So like I said, I ended up getting convicted. Um, apparently I, 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 I pleaded guilty, uh, yet I don't remember being there. So, I mean, to me, it's, that's just, a, uh, an empty, an empty conviction, uh, served my 18 months probation. I'm just about finished, uh, by, by May of next year, I'll have finished my three year sentence. Um, and then of course I have a 10 year sentence of, of not being able to have any weapons, uh, so was like it or three Three years of probation and then ten years of no weapons. Eighteen months probation. Okay. Um, and then it was a three-year sentence, and then it's ten years sentence of no weapons. What do you mean three years sentence? Really, yeah, it was a three-year discharge, like a three-year. It was a conditional discharge that they gave me. So uh, within the within the three-year period, as long as I don't contact my ex therapist, and as long as I don't have any. Um, other uh, issues with police, and that includes like speeding tickets and, and um, you know, uh, yeah, like anything. Uh, right. As long as, as that not engaging me, um, 
and uh yeah so it's uh you know it's it's essentially essentially like i mean I, i've been banned from calling a lot of the, a lot of different organizations within the mental health community because i've been fighting for my rights and respect and dignity uh because my ex-therapist uh who weaponized everything uh um is holding my health records hostage in, in Canada or at least in Ontario. Um, you know, we have a right, we have a legal uh, right to have access to our health records. Um, and so my, uh, my ex therapist uh, keeps denying me my, my health records and I keep, have to keep going through all these different um, tribunal processes to, to uh, ask for them. And, I've got so many complaints going on and what's really interesting about the whole complaints process is that everyone who's talking about my mental illness are looking at it from, uh, where I was seven years ago and not where I am today. Well, I, I also, I find it difficult to believe that she is withholding your own records from you and, and how is it that she's able to get away with that? That doesn't seem possible. Exactly. Well, there's laws, there's legislation, you know, and she, and, and as of August of last year, uh, 2020, uh, she applied that law again. Um, when I asked for my health records and there's a law that there's there's a law that states that you cannot receive your own personal records. Well, there's legislation. So there's caveats to the legislation, right? So her argument right now, the law that she's using uh, is is uh, is pretty much saying that if they release my health records, I'm a safety risk to myself uh, and of of others. So that's what she's using. That's what by, that's the, by the, just the releasing thing. your records, she's saying that. Yeah. Wow. She's yeah. So she's basically saying that that I don't have the mental capacity to handle my records. Okay. And cool. a couple a couple of really quick questions. One is when you were at court, you mentioned that you don't even really remember it. Um, were you with do they provide you with a mental health advocate or somebody like that at court? Under the law? Uh, yeah, they're supposed to. But they did. And so in the beginning, in the beginning, I had somebody, but they they came from CMHA. Oh, right. Uh, and because. Because CMHA banned me, they also took away all the court supports. Okay. And at that point, you know, I don't know what happened after that. I just did what I had to do. And Wow. And and then a quick question on the therapist. I know you have said a couple of times that she weaponized uh, your therapy and so forth. And you mentioned the records that she is withholding. Are there other things that you're using the term weaponize uh, towards? Uh, my words, um, well, what, what exactly do you mean by weaponize from your therapist? So my ex therapist took, took my trauma as a, as you know, my early childhood trauma. She took, she took my violent past and, you know, pretty much told, told people that she's fearful of her life, that, that I might act on, 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 on those things. I'm not the person I used to, I'm not the person I used to be back then. Right. And I don't want to do with the person I used to be back then. Um, but, uh, you know, anyway, she, she went in and did what she had to do. And then of course, uh, you know, the, the mental health sector within Ontario, um, essentially weaponized the whole construct, their, their construct of safety and, and, you know, and, and being safe, which is, which is such a subjective term. And I have a lot of issues with that within the mental health sector because it shouldn't be a word that's used because it is so subjective. 
because Al, I mean, you know, if you, you know, listening to my story, um, and, and then, you know, look, and then if you think about, about your upbringing, uh, I'm sure if you think about how I look at safety, my interpretation of what's safe and what your interpretation of what's safe is, I'm sure we're miles apart. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. So, you know, so, you know, who, who are they to, 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 to tell me that I'm, I'm behaving unsafe when they don't have, they don't know anything about my upbringing or what I, what I went through. And, and it's so I used just, to self-harm. Right. It, it's just, yeah. it's hard to understand that they would kind of, uh, stop you from being able to use their system of supports when they're a mental health organization. Like they're almost, they're essentially saying you're too mentally ill and your mental illness is manifesting in violent ways and, and we can't help you. And then, then what are they, I know you've said they finally gave you another helpline, but yeah, it just seems like that's supposed to be their job to then help you. (laughs) Don't you think? <laughs> so that's what I'm fighting right now. So, so I, I, I mean, my ex therapist thinks that that I'm I'm uh, retaliating against her. She she was she's she's only the catalyst that struck the match that lit the flame in my belly. You know that's that's all she is. Yeah. And and you know I'm fighting I I'm I'm fighting for the rights. Um, the respect and dignity for people like me in in a system that that is 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 intentionally designed and and exercised to be broken you know it, it's yeah. uh and, and, and i'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that they pull services from you uh, because because your mental illness is seems too dangerous for them to deal with and if that was truly the case then shouldn't they be trying to get you institutionalized or something if they think that you are so violent and aggressive that they can't help you doesn't that say that well, you would be a risk to the community you think you know like and 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 you know their parting gift uh cmha's parting gift to me was uh um after after being on a waiting list with their organization for several years all of a sudden, somehow it magically appeared that there was an opening at a, uh, a DBT uh, training uh, facility, you know, and, and they paid and, and, you know, CMHA did pay that bill for me. That was their parting gift. OK. That was their parting gift saying, oh, you know what, you're too dangerous, you're too sick for us. But hey, you know what, there's a there's there's DBT training over here for for a few months. We'll, we'll send you over there. And, mm-hmm. and that was the last thing they did for me. You know, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's been it's been uh, it's been crazy. It has been just it's just been a debacle in, in every sense. And like I said, I'm not fighting. I'm not fighting my ex therapist. Uh, not at all. I mean, she's the last of my worries. I'm fighting uh, because throughout this uh, complaints process, throughout everything I've been through, the system is so messed up, and it's not about helping. Uh, people living experience you know it's about securing dollars for funding as far as i'm concerned right right which is not which is not it was not the way to run uh a system and you know i I look at it this way al they they have um i think the leadership within all mental health communities globally um because i haven't seen anyone prove me wrong yet uh all the leaders are, are basically 
um, out of they come from they come from boardrooms and academia, their policies and procedures. It's so far removed from people with lived experience. It's it's like they see they see what they're doing through a career lens. Uh, where services that we need are from a lifestyle, a lifestyle lens. And there's a difference. Right. Wow. So you're, you're still in the court system trying to get your record still. Is that where you're at? Yep. Okay. I'm still fighting for my records. What's your, what's your goal once you get your records? Uh, well, hopefully I can read them and try to piece together my early childhood, uh, life. Uh, cause I mean, I, I have no, I have no recollection of, of what came out of me at that time. That's like seven years ago. That's when everything was, everything was just pouring out of me at that time. Right. You know, I didn't know if I was looking down. And at one point, at one point you wanted your records so that you could show the police. It sounded like to say, look, I do have this DID diagnosis. Oh, the police know that I had because they spoke. They spoke to to my uh, my current uh, Doctor Bill. Okay. Doctor Bill told them, you know, and he and when I went to court, Doctor Bill wrote me an eight page advocacy letter saying, you know, to the court saying, here's here's Victor, here's all his diagnosis, here's here's what you can expect. You want to, you know, you probably want to put parameters in place or or mechanism in place to to stick handle him through the process because he probably won't remember. And, you know, and, and yet, you know, the crown attorney, uh, um, ignored that, that, that letter didn't, didn't read it, you know, well, sorry, they read, they, they, the, the crown attorney, the judge, they read all the supporting documentation about my illnesses, uh, but they didn't do anything with it. Right. And so now you're fighting these battles in court for your own records and, you are also really trying to change the system through your advocacy work. I wonder if you want to share a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting because uh, I, I've, I've been working with a few organizations. Um, I can't really tell you who because I don't want I don't want them to be blackballed because it seems that everyone who comes near me, uh, if if the if the machine, the mental health system knows who I'm working with. It seems they blackball the people I work with because they're associated to me. So, um, but I am working with a few, uh, uh, organizations, uh, with their senior leadership, I should say too. I'm not working with, 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 you know, minions. I'm actually working with CEOs, um, because, uh, there's a couple organizations that they want to, they want to know, um, they call it PWLE people with living experience. And so they want they 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 want to know my input. They 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 want to say, you know, Victor, what what did you learn? Um, you know, what what changes can you see in the system? So I'm grateful for the opportunity. Um, all I'm going to say is, if I can, I just want to give kudos to uh, um, two people that that uh, outside my circle of care um, who are my supporters. Um, and, and that's Adrian and, and Melissa. Uh, they know who they are. And uh, I just want to give them kudos. Uh, I'm grateful uh, for for their continued uh, support and patience uh, with dealing with me. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm doing I'm doing some work. I'm doing some advocacy work. Uh, I, 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 uh, I challenge the, the, the therapist world on Twitter. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but I have been challenging a lot of people on Twitter. 
Uh, Twitter is the platform that I've been using most of the time. And if they're looking for me, it's at Victor Jansen. That's that's pretty simple. Uh, you know, and uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, I, I don't hold anything back. Like I said, there's a brutality to my honesty. Um, there are no immunities from anyone about my dehumanized uh, commentary. Um, you know, if, if uh, and, 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 you know, if I smell uh, bullshit, I, I call you out on it. If I, if I smell hypocrisy, I call you out on it. Um, because, you know, people need to know. And, you know, people need to know and the public needs to understand that there's like, you know, for example, dissociation and parts work and DID, they're different animals. Um, and, and so there's a lot of therapists who like to talk, you know, who, who say hashtag dissociation. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've gone publicly and said, you guys got to stop, you know, if you're going to say this stuff, uh, you know, you're going to put these little fancy hashtags, you better put some explanation to behind it so that the public, the, the mental illness Luddites, um, and there's no other way of putting it, uh, because no one is an expert, uh, in mental illness or knows what mental illness is, unless you've gone through what I've gone through or, or you have a good therapist, um, most of the general public don't know mental illness except from what the media tells them. And that's, you know, stress, anxiety, and, uh, uh, depression. Um, but there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, you know, and, uh, so I, I try to, I try to help, uh, and, and I try to, to, to clear the language around, uh, mental illness. Um, and, and, and just so you understand to put some context around that, Al, I, I look at, Mental health is the business model, the industry, nothing more, nothing less. Um, mental well-being is, the, is, a, is a state within the human condition. Um, and and uh, mental illness is the injury to the body. Um, but, you know, mental, mental illness doesn't sell, but mental health does sell because you can use some, you know fancy marketing terms and it sounds positive um but you know mental illness is not a positive thing mental illness is is is, is uh uh ugly it's a, it's an ugly uh it's an ugly pig and you know you can put as much lipstick on that pig as you want but it's not going to change its appearance right so if people want to find uh, find you, Twitter would be the best route, and it's at Victor Jansen. That's correct. Yeah, okay. and and I, you know, I am working on on uh, launching um, a web a website. I am working on uh, uh, because people keep asking me, and I am trying to get there. I mean, you know, bear with me. My mental uh, symptom, mental illness symptoms, sometimes get the better of me, uh, but I am trying to 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 you know get that book. Uh, uh, at least the first draft uh, completed within the next, uh, uh, I, I want to say, end of September, maybe. Uh, awesome. At least the first draft. That's really and then, cool. Um, yeah, and like I said, I'm working on a web on a web page. Uh, I'm working on uh, trying to develop uh, uh, three different types of podcasts. Um, uh, you know, one is uh, about uh, men's men specifically, mental health, uh, mental illness, mental well-being. Uh, all the issues, uh, because I, I found I did some preliminary research, and you know most men don't want to speak up about their their vulnerabilities with when it comes to mental illness, because you know most men uh, we're we're all taught that it's a weakness, 
especially if you if you break down in front of a woman, it's definitely a weakness. Um, and 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 I want to break that 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 uh, stigma. I want to I want to you know say it's 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 okay. It's okay to to be vulnerable. It's okay as a man to 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 cry. Uh, it's 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 okay for a man to to feel something. Um, and 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 you can do it in a group. You can do it in public. It's okay. Uh, you know, I've been vilified, demonized. I, you know, uh, there are a lot of shit that's happened to me. Um, and, and all it's done is, is, is it's made me realize that I have to step up to the plate and speak out and speak up and, and, um, you know, uh, try to help people and, and, you know, especially around suicide as well. Like I said, I'm a five time suicide survivor and, and I just want to say, I know we're getting, getting on here in time. Um, one of the things that, that, that you need to understand you see i for the last uh over well it's almost three a year and three quarters now uh like clockwork uh i spend about uh uh, uh i have nightly episodes uh of flashbacks living flashbacks so I, i'm on i'm on my floor in my bedroom uh most nights for for two hours uh on average um being being totally dismantled on all four pillars of life and that's your your mental your emotional physical and and spiritual self uh i get ripped apart um completely annihilated uh on all all four pillars uh my reality gets messed up uh you know uh my uh, you can't rely on your senses at all and uh you know it, it's 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 through those experiences and and all those flashbacks, most of them have to do with my suicide attempts, and 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 my very first traumatic uh, experience. Uh, so I get to relive every aspect of that, um, and it it, uh, it it it's 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 grueling. It's tough. It's uh, it's not for everyone. Uh, wow. um, and you know, I, I look at it as uh, uh, maybe that's karma coming back to bite me in the ass. You know, because I. I consciously chose to go down down that path of, of suicide uh, five times. No one out. No one put a gun to my head. No one. No one. You know. Uh, I think I if, mean, in, if any if, if any karma is coming your way, I, I think you deserve some very lighthearted, good, positive vibe karma coming your way. I hope so. One of these days, you know, um, and, and so, so, you know, with the, with the advocacy work that I do, uh, like I said, I do fight for, uh, um, men's, you know, or anyone who's, who's thinking of suicide. That's a big thing for me. That's like, I, you know, I don't want people to make the mistake that I made now. Um, because I'm reliving every, every moment of those mistakes and, uh, no one should go through, uh, what I go through every night. So, that's right. that's you know one of the things that and that's one of the things that I want to tackle with the the first uh, podcast that I'm working on with with you know uh, men and 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 just mental health in general in dealing with with men. Um, that's one of the podcasts I'm, I'm trying to develop and, and, and focus on that. Uh, and then the other piece is uh, my wife and I are I'm, I'm trying to develop a, a podcast with my wife um, to talk about. Uh, how mental illness impacts families and caregivers and, 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 you know, have it, have guests come on and, 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 and just different, you know, agencies come on and, and, and talk about how they're going to address that. And because, uh, from my perspective, 
mental illness is the next pandemic, multi-generational mental illness, let me rephrase that, is the next pandemic that's coming down the pipe that will probably crush the healthcare system globally. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I want to, I want to get that going and, and, and have early discussions and, 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 and look at ways of, of preparing for that, that tsunami that's coming our way. And then of course the dovetail into that, um, is the, my last uh, uh, podcast project that I'm working on is to develop a podcast that will be, um, a critique, a mental, mental, uh, health business critic and and look at the good the bad and the ugly within the business and then try to address where the business is falling flat celebrate what they're doing well and try to fix or not fix but find solutions for what they uh what they're doing poorly well, that's awesome sounds like you have a lot in mind a lot of aspirations that's awesome so uh victor i want to i want to thank you for your time i want to thank you for all your advocacy and uh, before we wrap up, I do want to ask you uh, if somebody out there is listening to this show right now and they're struggling, what would your be your your largest piece of advice for them? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, well, it's going to be a little bit abstract, but but just hear me out. Uh, one of the things that I've realized when I go through my nightly episodes is um, I, I was I was brought up in a generation that. As a man, I was told I had to be stoic. I had to be the rock, um, you know, and, you know, I, I, I had to be strong. Um, and so what I go through uh, every night, I, I realized that that was the wrong. Um, that, that's the wrong analogy to use, you know, and I'm going to quote Bruce Lee uh, here. And, and that is. um People need to be like water. Uh, and, and, and when I say that, you know, it's, it's about being colorless. It's about being shapeless. It's about, uh, being, you know, having fluidity, about constantly being able to adapt, move. Um, and, and, and when I say move, uh, you know, you're, which direction you're moving in or, or, or yeah, in and out, it, it's inconsequential because as long as you're moving, uh, with, 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 especially with, when you look at water, um, as long as you're moving, you're alive. Uh, as soon as water stops moving, it becomes stagnant and can't support life. And so, uh, you know, with, with mental illnesses and the symptoms, um, you, you gotta be like water. You gotta just flow with it. You gotta be able to embrace it. Uh, if, if you're like water, you're, you're, you're definitely, um, you can flow, you can flow around it, with it, in it. Um, and it won't consume you. And I don't know if that's, that's, if that answers your question, but that's one of the things that I've learned. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. You know, you know, it's a little high, it's a little high, you know, pie in the sky kind of uh, concept, but, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's what I've learned in, in the, in the past is, uh, you know, cause I've, I've tried, uh, with my episodes, I've tried everything from resistance to radically accepting to surrendering uh, you name it. And, and now I, I'm at the point now where I just, I just be with it. Yeah. Um, and it's, 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 uh, to, to quote, uh, and this is what I'm, uh, someone quoted this to me the other day. Um, and, and so I've been trying to, to apply it, uh, in my daily life now. And that is, um, 
carry no expectations uh, for out, for outcomes, nor uh, expectations for the timing of outcomes. Uh, so, so I use that uh, a lot in in what I'm doing uh, and how I get through. And and then one of the other things that 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 I use now in in what I'm trying, how I'm trying to work with people, is that um, no one is greater than another person. So we we are all equal. We should treat each other as equals. And in in doing so, uh, we should never put ourselves in a position to to be greater than somebody else. Nor should that person do the same. And it allows then for for you then to open up and hold opposition for uh, other uh, points of view, and and then you can have you know you can discuss. Um, and so I try to keep a an open mind now in in that realm as well. Yeah, well that's awesome. Well, Victor, again I want to thank you for all your time uh, on the Depression Files tonight. I want to thank you for sharing your story. What a compelling story, and uh, thank you for your advocacy work. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to, to share my story on your, on your, uh, on your podcast and, and with your listeners, and, and I'm honored uh, to, to have that, this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks again, Victor, and make sure that you uh, stay healthy. Try, try my best. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. If you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text 741-741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit the like button. In addition, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.